Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Namaste, mods and mamas. And daddies. Guess what, guys? I finally got around to it. For so long, I was telling you guys, I'm going to bring Chirag on to the podcast. And finally, this pandemic made it happen. So he's making his cameo experience. Welcome, Chirag, to the podcast. Thanks for having me on this awesome podcast. Well, I think it was all the mamas really wanted to hear from you and hear your viewpoints. So it was by popular demand. Oh, and kind of like a spotlight? Yeah. So you're really, you're really on it. So guys, so many of you message me periodically. How do I get my hubbies on board with mindful parenting or meditation? Or how is your journey? You're so spiritual. What is it in your dynamic in your family? Is your husband as spiritual as you? And I think it's really important to illustrate and highlight how each individual, even though you are bonded by marriage you're still your own individual going on your own spiritual path with your own opinions and viewpoints on this and I think I really wanted Chirag to be able to share maybe some areas where we defer and what we believe in areas where maybe some of the things that I've shared with him have resonated and he's carried with him and you're going to get his honest perspective on what's worked and dive into this episode with your hubbies that's why we've designed it where it's not just for the mamas listen to it with your hubbies or your partners so that you can have an open dialogue uh, about these things and conversation so what do you think about that I like it So a lot of these are questions that you guys have brought up. And one of the most common things that was asked is how we met. Oh, wait, wait. Let me tell this story because I know it the best. Actually, okay. So honestly, anytime someone in real life asks us to share this story, I have to be like, do you want the real version or do you want some weird, wonky, like watered down version? So what do you guys want? The real or the the made up version? I'm assuming they want the real one. (laughs) So then you're going to want me to explain it. And so this is very interesting because I, I talk a lot about, you know, my my rock bottom and how it led me on a spiritual journey. And, you know, there is a pre-meditation thajal versus a post-meditation thajal. And Chirag really met me at the tail end of that really kind of like hot mess express thajal. <laughs> and I think you are hot mess express Chirag. I was, I was. I was very frustrated with life. Yeah, I think, and I think the vibration of who we were then is very different than where we were now, but I see that we were definitely at a lower, like we were having difficult situations in our own life that I think kind of attracted us at a spiritual level. I think that's what it kind of brought us together. Uh, What do you think about that? I think later on, I don't think initially that was the cause. I think Initially, it was just we were intrigued by each other. And I think as we found out more about each other, we kind of saw why we connected and why we kept wanting to know more about each other. 
but I think early on was definitely my smile that got you hooked. <laughs> well, okay, so that is that is true. And many of you already guys know you guys know, right? I'm a dentist daughter. So I want to tell you guys kind of like the the unabridged version of how we met because I think it's really important to kind of highlight of how relationships shift, evolve, and grow, and how it's really been for us. So like I shared, um, you know, I was pretty much in a monogamous relationship since I was in college. I And, um, you know, I was coming out of a seven-year relationship. I was in California, just finished law school. And for me, I my rock bottom really stemmed from, one, being in the real world for the first time, and also, you know, when your identity is attached to something or a relationship or a person, trying to define who you were. Like I was trying to define myself as a professional and an attorney living in San Diego by myself and single. So for me, it was a lot of um, difficulty in trying to navigate that. And so that was where I was. And, you know, like I said, I was hot mess express. I was numbing my feelings and my emotions, as many of us do in our early 20s through partying and you know alcohol and relationships and you know really not doing the soul searching and so when I met Chirag I was kind of in that space just personally of really not knowing who I was and I know that I'm gonna I don't want to speak for you Chirag but you were kind of the opposite extreme like you were chronically dating trying to actively trying to find someone to get married to and so share a little bit about where you were when we were when we met yeah because I was coming off a seven day broken engagement (laughs) so uh, that I felt like I was rushed into and pressured into uh, with someone and um, I don't take the hundred percent blame on other people I was partly to blame for what had happened at that time but I kind of went with what everybody was saying and didn't push back and let it happen and then realized that you know that's not the right situation that I wanted to be in and um, then I got really frustrated and angry and started believing things that were being told to me or said that you know there's something wrong with you if you can't find someone and you're at a particular age and you know there are people that we've introduced you to and you still can't make it stick so it's it's within you and that took me a little bit more to go internal but it also made me think that you know maybe I am the cause of all this friction in the last few years and so when I met you I think I I was very um I had a fence wall around me I had a few things that I just thought, hey, she's from California. I can say hello, but it's probably going to end there because what California person wants to move to Delaware or New Jersey area or Philly area? They're in California. And so I think those were my preconceived notions, even when I was talking to you, because, yeah, I dated a few people from California and they wanted me to move out there. And I already had some business ties that wouldn't allow me to do that. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah, and for me, you know, as I've shared before that, you know, I was engaged before. And so it was interesting because I had this notion that I was never, I was like tainted goods and I was never going to find someone. So I remember like very early on in our relationship, I think it was like our second date. And I was like, all right, I got to just tell you that I was engaged before. And then he was like, 
yeah, I was engaged before too. And I was like, wow, what are the odds of that happening? And um, so it was just like a comfortability, I think, you know, insecurity on my part, but then also a Everyone has a history and a past and these experiences that we carry with us. And so for us, you know, I was living in California. He was on the East Coast, though I am originally from the East Coast. It's always been my dream to live in California. And it is still my dream, hopefully, maybe one day to move back. Uh, But we'll see how that works out. But in any case, we met on Facebook. (laughs) And the interesting thing was is that one of Chirag's really good friends or I would say cousins like distant relatives was someone that I went to undergrad with in Philly and I had heard after I took the bar exam I had heard that he got engaged so I was off online for months studying for the bar exam and I went on specifically on Facebook to see his engagement pictures and there was a person who kept showing up in the pictures and I was like who is this guy and really like he said it was his smile because I'm a dentist daughter and I'm sucker for a good smile and so I did something that was completely out of my element and you know I was new in the single game I hadn't hadn't been single since I was 18 years old so I added him as a friend and immediately he responded back and he's like um, do I know you? I think you have the wrong Chirag Patel. It's Chirag Patel. I mean, how many are there? A million and a half in America itself? I feel like there's a lot. And I mean, we have the most common names, Bajal Patel and Chirag Patel, the most common good you names. But anyways, so I was like, oh my gosh. So I was like, uh, no, I was like, I'm a, I'm a dentist daughter and I'm a sucker for good smiles. And then there was radio silence. He was like, and I was like, wow, that was a cheesy line. I still say I don't recall the radio silence. It was. There was a radio silence. And um, interestingly enough, when I was looking at his pictures, he was friends with so many of my friends from college, like my roommate from college and some of my really good friends. And I was like, who is this guy? Like he didn't even like register, like he didn't look even familiar or like someone who was like an acquaintance in passing. And I think you felt the same way too. Like did I even like, did you even recognize me? No, I had the same kind of thoughts in my head like how do we have 197 common friends or whatever it was and we don't know who each other are yeah and I think that's the way that the universe works and we later on found out because I was in undergrad in Philly and you know he had a lot of friends in Philly so he we were definitely at the same parties we had the same friends but that was a phase in my life that I was dating someone in California and I was not like my radar, like it was not meant for us to know each other. So the universe really just kept us apart. And it wasn't until the right time that, yes, I had to scroll through Facebook. It was just divine synchronicity of how that works. And I think anyone who's married, I think their story is really just always about divine synchronicity of how those things are beyond planned and the universe conspires to bring you together. So, you know, we, I share that story, you know, and we got, we got engaged and married rather quickly. We didn't, I would say that we didn't really know each other fully. I think our first year of marriage really was difficult because we were it was like our first year of in a relationship because still dating yeah it was almost like the dating phase but then you're like living with someone you're married to someone and you have all these baggages and trauma and from your childhood to you know experiences and past relationships that we hadn't fully healed and so that was coming to a head I feel like um you know we were definitely in our own you know ego states and we were trying our best it's not like we we're intentionally trying to hurt each other but that's 
where we were at, right? We were, you know, neither, like neither one of us meditated or kind of were into spirituality. We were just living the normal, like, you know, trying to check the boxes off, trying to seek our parents' approval, trying to make it to trying to be successful, you know, all those external societal norms, right? Like believing what culture defines as, you know, having made it. Yeah, I married an attorney who wasn't an attorney anymore. I mean, who who gets blessed with that, you know? So it's it, we, we decided that we were going to pick our path through our relationship of the things that we went through through our first few years of marriage and learning about each other and supporting each other on the decisions that we were making. Sometimes unknowingly and sometimes I think knowingly because we were looking for each other as that person that pillar knowing that our family or our friends are not going to necessarily support or agree with what we're going to do or what we were trying to do and I I will say because a lot of people ask me this question like how did you pivot and make that shift from attorney to following your life passion of being like a kid's yoga and mindfulness and meditation teacher and I always share that I couldn't have done it without Tra because he is an entrepreneur he is more, I was very risk averse um, and he's a calculated risk taker and he was very supportive. Whereas like, I know that a lot of people, and this is when before like mindfulness and yoga was really like what it is today. And I just wanted to have you kind of explain of like you as the outsider watching me kind of through that journey of me having to step out of that role of this this idea of what I was supposed to be or what people expected to me, me to be to follow my dreams, if there was any perspective that you saw, maybe my struggles or my experience yeah, of that. I mean, I saw you struggle for almost, what, four, five months with what you were doing with your day-to-day, with you crying or feeling depressed or angry because things weren't what they were supposed to be. And ultimately, one thing I've learned just in general about myself is, you know, being happy is very key. That doesn't necessarily bring a lot of money, a lot of success in societal thought process, but it, it's a lot of what you kind of drive, you make your drive for, like that's, that's what you're looking for, right? That how happy can I be without being exposed to things that I don't want to do and I'm being forced to do. And I saw that and we had that conversation, right? That, hey, I'm only earning X and we're used to Y and you're used to Y and you're going to have to manage through that. And, and you didn't hesitate and you said, whatever it takes, we'll do it together. And if somebody gives you that confidence, then it gives you a little bit of ease because there is pressure, whether you're a woman or a man. If you have to carry the household and you have to make sure that everybody's fed and everything's taken care of, that that inherently is pressure that's always going to be there. And it's good to know from day one that the person that's your support system is going to say, I understand and I'm not going to blame you and I'm not going to get angry at you if things are not exactly what they're supposed to be. And I think that made it clear for me and that made it easy for me to go out and support you to our friends, our family. And when they asked, you know, how can this be? She went to college. She's smart. She's this. And I said, that doesn't take away from 
any of the stuff she did that's all part of life's experience however doing what makes her happy is what i want to do right now because she's my life partner and i don't i don't want ever to be the block that makes her think later on in life that the person that i counted on the most didn't support me when i needed them the most and that drove me to constantly support and even today drive you to do the things that I think sometimes even you question yourself whether you should pull forward or push forward because you can. We're comfortable enough that you can and you should. I couldn't have been where I'm at without your support because it really does take a team because there were a lot of naysayers. There were a lot of people questioning and I felt it like in the beginning, I felt like I was constantly on defense and partially because of my own uncomfortability and really, again, trying to shatter my identity of like, I am an attorney, I make X, Y, and Z, this is what I had worked to do, and now I'm my sh- it was being stripped away. And so, you know, this was all the first, first two years of marriage. And yes, as we saw the trajectory financially, we were at a, other people were far, like where we were in our life, where people thought that we should be in our life, we definitely, it was slower in our growth than others, um, but... I think that, like as Chirag said, you can always make it work. If there's something, like if it's causing you unhappiness or, you know, there's always circumstances, but if you have someone who's going to support you and believes in your vision and wholeheartedly wants you to thrive, and I think this this uh, pandemic is kind of crumbling our notions of what success and the corporate ladder and what we kind of even uh, assigned or visioned ourselves to look like or our career to look like. I, I think that's really important to highlight. And I started as the attorney. I, I worked for a while and then I decided to shift out of it. And it's been a very organic process. Like success and these connections didn't happen from day one. It's been 10 years now since it's really now yeah, I connected. Mean, I mean, it, you went through everything, right? You, you worked for someone. When you moved over here, you worked for someone then you started your own practice. We were going to acquire a practice in California, if you remember, for somebody yeah, who's retiring. Yeah. Um, then you joined a mediation uh, group that you worked with for almost six months, I think, um, before it finally just got too much for you, right? So I, I think it was probably between two and three years of our you know, marriage. Yeah. Um, and everything else, it's self-taught. Um, you're a constant... I think student slash learner. That's definitely not me, guys. Um, I think I've read five books in my life, um, <laughs> just to let you know. So Dejal has beaten me this month probably in those five books of five books of life. So sometimes I read five books at like one sitting. Like I'm reading this chapter yeah, this, and this chapter. So, and I, I'm I'm just not a reader. I'm a listener, um, and I like to watch things. Um, that's how I get my. Um, I guess knowledge and a lot of times I get my knowledge from actually listening either from Dejal from my parents from from her parents or our siblings um, I, I like to listen I'm I'm very observant um, I think you told me that from very early on in our relationship right like yeah wow you how did you notice that I wasn't even looking for that or I, I didn't even see that um, and guys Ayan is just like mini Trog over here so a lot of his qualities of like being observant and articulate and a negotiator and all these different things he gets it from his dad (laughs) 
And Yay, something. <laughs> so I wanted to just kind of give a little perspective. So when I was shifting out of it, this is the exact time that I started. Do you remember I was going to yoga? This is the first time I really, in Delaware when we were living, I was going to yoga class. And right next door to the yoga class was a meditation class. It was a mindfulness meditation class. This was the first time I had sat and done meditation. It was on Friday nights, I remember. And very early on, I actually felt embarrassed. I remember this. We lived in like a two-bedroom condo. And I would meditate in the, the bedroom. And when I initially started doing it, I would like hide from you and do it. Because I... I didn't, I felt like kind of like a fraud. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if like, I was, like I said, I was a hot mess express and I started meditating and I'm like, what are people going to think? Like, what if she, you know, what if it doesn't work? It, it was again, just a, it was, it was interesting that dynamic, but very early on, I had asked you, would you like to come to that meditation class? I remember. Right? I and remember. and I you came. I remember joining you and I remember sitting in a chair and falling asleep. <laughs> Right. And did snoring. You... And you said, hey, you were snoring. And I was like, I did not know that. Um, Nothing was... has changed, guys. <laughs> but guys, also, dark room, relaxing music, telling you to relax and breathe. That's that's sleeping to me. I mean, I, I was so comfortable, even though I was sitting on a chair, I fell asleep. Yeah. And, that, and that's another thing, too. Like, a lot of men say, I'm not flexible. I can't sit still. You know, Chirag was like that from day one, but you can sit on a chair and sometimes you are like that to me, um, what I've learned through my meditation training is that, you know, in that experience where if you're in a meditation class and you fall asleep, that's just a sign from your body and your mind that is depleted and it just needs that moment, just that permission to just relax and it's going to take it. So that's not a failure if you, it's just a sign that there's maybe some burnout there, some fatigue there, and I need it. I remember I was like, if this is what it is, I'll come every time, <laughs> no. right? Because, like, technically, you should be because, conscious. Right. But... <laughs> and I was like, well, I just get that relaxed, and I fall asleep. And um, I think I came, like, one other time. Yeah. Um, and then and then we kind of – I kind of put a backseat, and Dejil just took off from it um, and just kept learning. Yeah. That's how we trickled into it. But now, um, so it's been a part of my life, I would say, for the last 10 years. And you've had your own experience and your journey with mindfulness, meditation. I would like for you to share about what your ex separate experience from me of what yeah. it's been. So I think, I think there was a stage where I got busy with um, expanding the business and trying to make sure that our future was kind of a little bit more secure, knowing that I was going to be the breadwinner it was a very defined role now. And I remember clearly, even when we were talking about having kids, you had very set expectations because you came from a very conservative family of where the earnings need to be, where finances need to be, how much we need to have in savings. And I'd taken all that into account and I was very busy concentrating on on those things. And I think um, you'd like took, I think you, in that race, you were so far ahead with the knowledge that you were taking, the readings um, you were listening to, um, Hay House, not Hay House, but yeah, you were listening, Hay yeah, Hay yeah, House Hay at House. that time, you were listening to um, Oprah, Oprah, and you were listening to um, the, who, who's the, the meditation expert? I can't ring his name right now. I read a lot of Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. yeah. Eckhart Tolle my... books, and um, you also listened to him. And I think... When we were in Italy, right after Pranali 
uh, had gotten married, I think we had, even though it was an amazing vacation with our friends and we had a few moments of breakdown and breakdown in communication. And I think when we came back, you had asked, you know, I'm, I'm looking to do this um, Kundalini stuff. I'm getting really interested in it. I would love for you to come and join and kind of do this as a couple and we can grow together with it because it's not the typical yoga. It's more into meditation. And you knew me. I mean, we, we went through what we went through, but we knew each other. And you said that this will definitely resonate with you. And I remember um, kind of just being open to it and saying, yeah, I, I haven't done it, but I would, I would love to get back into it. And I think it happened around the right time because there was a lot of angst and stress and anxiety and fear going through me because we had just started a new school and we had acquired a banquet hall and there was just so much going on. And I think that that helped me a lot because it showed me that you cared enough to include me and you were patient enough with me to kind of be like, he's so far behind. And yes, at times, guys, there was some judgment going on by Miss Tajel. Yes, know? of course. And um, I'm going to talk about why, that. Why are you not Spiritual here? Spiritual ego. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you know, even when I would try to be like, hey, like, I'm just learning. You got to give me some space. Um, and so there's growth in that, too. There's nothing wrong with that. It, there's always going to be. They say this in life all the time, even in general. Right. It's everybody's on a different path. Everybody's on in a different I don't want to, I'm going to say race, but it's not really a race, but everybody's on a different journey to that extent. So some people are further along in that journey and some people are not, and it's okay. It's not something that there's a finish line. It's not like you're crossing something. It's an ongoing journey that you're going to go through your entire life. And she was much further ahead. And those classes in the garage of, Mm -hmm. of, um, of the two people who were hosting these classes they were great it was very uncomfortable for me early on because i have a knee problem and sitting you know crisscross is very difficult and kundalini guys is like plank position style yoga and breath of fire you know, breath for of two fire minutes. and <laughs> keeping your hands up out. in the air for five minutes and not bringing them down uh, but i got through it um we were going once a week and i started really enjoying it even there were times where we would do it at home a um, couple of days in between and i think that got me back into wanting to learn more wanting to do more and then you did the kundalini um teachers training and that got me i think even more involved because guys she has a beautiful voice in my opinion so like when she would sing in the morning um, it, it just kind of hypnotized me at times. And I was like, wow, I could meditate to this. I don't need anything else. If she can just sing for 10 minutes, I can close my eyes and I can relax my breathing and I can um, really focus. And that started helping me. And then you had found Muse, which was this thing you put on your head and it kind of con- captures your brain activity. And it and that really helped me, guys. So like, for all you guys who think I can't sit still, this is not me. I highly recommend it. I think it's three or four hundred dollars, but it comes with an app. And it's um, I remember when I first started doing it to kind of get myself into that mode. It's uh, water waves. So if it recognizes that a lot of stuff is happening in your brain, the waves will get stronger. And as you quiet your brain down with your breathing, the waves will become more calmer and calmer and then it'll it'll kind of guide you. So I started with, I think, three minutes mm-hmm. back then. And then I went all the way up to, um, 
I think when I was really doing it consistently, um, I think I was almost between like 11 and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, I can still probably easily do 10 without any issues. It's anything further than 10. I start getting a little fidgety and stuff like that. But if I reset, I can, I can do another 10 minutes. And we've done that a lot of times when we're on trips together, right? Um, when we were Maldives, we meditated together. Um, so we try to do that when we're traveling where there's nobody else. It's just me and her in private. Um, that should definitely help a lot of guys because I think sometimes that comes into mind like, oh, somebody's watching me. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. I think the more you do it in private, the more confidence you're going to get. And there really is no right or wrong, I feel like, which is what guys get hung up on. I did this wrong or did I do this right? I think you just go with the flow and think of it as not Advil or Tylenol. Think of it as you drinking green juice or a smoothie every day. It's going to make you feel better as you do it more rather than Mm -hmm. you kind of doing a shot of something and just you're going to know what to do and you're going to be good at it. So start small. Even if it's three minutes, you might think, what's three minutes? When you're first trying it, three minutes is going to feel like 20. So try it for three minutes for a few weeks. Then when you feel like you can up it to five or seven, go to five or seven. And now, I mean, there's so many tools. Like I think when yeah. we started, oh, there wasn't as much. We, we were using our own music kind of to guide us. Now there's, um, what's the Insight Timer app. Yeah. There's Calm, uh, even it. on YouTube, there's so much stuff. Dejil's videos are on YouTube. So if you want to first start, yeah, old school. If you want to see what Dejil was old doing back five, school. six years ago. Right. Like um, you start when you're... Right into- around when she was pregnant with Ayan, um, you, can, you can check all the stuff out. And um, I used a lot of that. You know, um, I would kind of watch in private because whatever she just said about how she felt early on when she was meditating... I kind of felt like that myself at times. So I I was like, you know, I don't want a teacher telling me what I'm doing wrong or right. Let me just kind of secretly watch what Dejil's doing. And then I can kind of surprise her and be like, no, I got it. Don't worry about it. I know what I'm doing. I got it. Um, <laughs> and I learned from you. I watched your video, you know. So I think I think it's a slow experience. Mm-hmm. And, and a personal experience. And a personal experience. Yeah. And I still am, I think... You know, I don't want to put numbers on it, but if Dejil's a 10 in how far ahead she is in her practice and what she maintains to do, I think I'm probably like a th- between a three and a five, depending on the month, the week, the day. Um, and I, I think I'll get to that point. It's it's just I haven't. And um, I don't think that it's less valuable or I don't think that what she's doing is not good for the soul or the heart. I think it definitely is. And I, I'm going to get there. That's kind of my personal goal of I'm going to get to that practice. And there's times where I'm there, right? Like I, I do it every day. You see it. And then something happens with work or whatever. And it's not—it's an excuse. It truly is an excuse. But I guess I track and then it, it just leads to other stuff. And then I got to get back into the practice. Um, and COVID has definitely helped me do that in different ways and now i use a lot of the tools that dejil has taught me and helped me with um and it's not just the meditation part it's some of the practice part the breathing the i I love the breathing because that's me i'm I'm short-tempered um i lose my cool fairly fast um and there was things that happened a few years ago at one of our schools and 
that kind of changed my entire mindset on how I was talking, how I was potentially treating people. And Dejo was the one who made me realize some of those things uh, from a second view. Nobody had really showed me or told me that because I'm the owner and nobody really steps up to the owner and says, hey, you're wrong in this and we don't like this. But they showed up by all 50% of my staff quitting one day on me. Mm. Um, and it was a it was a very tough time, but you helped me through it. And that's my belief. Like my belief is, I think if I didn't go through that practice at that time, I would have probably taken up drinking more or you know i don't know doing other things maybe eating more crappy food to make me feel better watch more tv to take my mind off things where instead we meditated every day she made it into a a practice of saying you have to do this you have to do it for 10 minutes it's for your health it's for your growth and you're gonna see the difference and i and i did and i was able to handle myself a lot better because when somebody quits it's a shock but the true practice begins on the rebuilding part mm -hmm. and you answering to all the parents and how you have to figure out how to navigate through their questions without getting frustrated at them or angry at them because they're looking out for their kids. And and that really helped me. And that I mean, that that I think is a turning point, not only I think in how we feel about each other, because you supported me, even though you were pregnant you woke up at five o'clock in the morning and you were there with me and you ran some of the classrooms. I mean, a lot of people may not know that, but she, you know, for about a month, um, she helped me even through back pain and things like that. And I think that's what sometimes, you know, it's those untold things you do for each other in a relationship that helps you grow. And it's not always, I love you. And it's not always the hug and it's not always flowers, but it's this, like you were there for me when I needed it, knowing that I just needed you to be there and you were there. So, um, you know, I think that was a critical moment of where I really s believed that there's a lot of value to this practice. Um, and I still think it's, it's a lot. And I still tell some of my friends, you know, I, I teach them the breathing tools because they're like, I'm frustrated with this. I'm like, just do this before you go and this will help you. It's always still helped me. Uh, and that's the breath of fire, yeah. you know. And, and a lot of these breaths, like I said, you know, I share with families in the book and with kids because I think it's very integral to have this relationship. You know, we're learning through COVID that the, the greatest skill and asset that we're going to have in life is our resilience and our grit and our ability to be stressed, to understand how to handle stress. Like what is stress really telling us? It's not something that's from outside of us. Our stress, like our children aren't stressful. Our job is not stressful. Our life is not stressful. These things are triggers that activate stress, which is something that's a physiological response within our body. And I, I really want to also highlight that as, Many women come to me and ask me, you know, how do I get my husband involved or how do I push him or how do I force him? You can't. And I made, and I will raise my hand and say that I made that mistake because what human nature is that when you find something that helps you, your first inclination is that you want to shout it on top of the rooftops and you want to help the people that are closer to you. And partially, yes, that comes from your heart, but partially, yes, that's also still from your ego because you recognize that if that other person who triggers me, right, and it's usually the people who are closest to you because relationships are spiritual contracts. We are here to learn and push and poke and prod and really elicit the the deep on wounds that need to be healed and what we recognize is that 
you know, we are all on our individual journey and it's not about forcing the other person. It's about recognizing that, you know, maybe it's like I'm trying to push it on them because if they got their stuff together, then it would make my life easier. And that was a real turning point to me. I'm like, what is my intention of constantly pushing it? And is it coming from a place of judgment in the sense that my life would be easier if you would have a shorter, like if you would stop having a short temper and raising your voice at me, that would make me feel comfortable or make my ego feel more comfortable. And when I, I, I laid off. So the time period between like us originally starting meditation and me doing the Kundalini training was about three years. And, and I remember, uh, for me, you know, it, it was such a transformative experience because I share this a lot with child when I'm teaching children or moms, but for the dads who are listening, you know, meditation starts with active meditation first. It's not just sitting silently and focusing on your breath because our mind hasn't been trained to slow down because it's a tool in a vehicle to think. And when it's constantly been running in an overdrive and been analytical and logic driven and you know constantly planning things out, just sitting down and trying to focus on your breath is gonna be largely difficult. And so the reason why Kundalini meditation for me, because it's active, you're moving your body in a specific way, you're using a breath work and you're focusing your mind and you're training your mind to slow down based off of training your body to slow down. So when Trag was talking about the Muse apparatus, what it's training you to do is like your mind is focusing on the sound of the ocean waves. And when it's a storm, there's too much brain activity. And then when you focus on then slowing your breath, then your mind slows down. And so just recognize that it's not, if you're into your mindfulness and meditation and your spouse is not, I kind of look at it like this. It's not a superior and inferiority. It's like different grades. Like someone's in second grade or someone's in sixth grade and someone's in 12th grade. You would never yell or shame a second grader and be like, you're only in second grade. You would never make fun of them because you have to go through second, third, fourth, fifth grade in order to get to 12th grade. And that's kind of what the spiritual journey is all about, that we're going through grades. There is no, like a 12th grader is not better than a first grader. You got to go through first grade in order to get to that level. So just be mindful of that and aware that in family dynamics we are all meant to be in different grades because that's how we learn from the contrast that's how we help each other that's how we evolve by these if we had everybody who was in sixth grade in your family for example or 12th grade or in grad school it would be make for a very mundane life circumstance because everybody would just be the same and so I just wanted to put that perspective out there and um, just just honor where you're at and if you're open to this then I think that it's a great bonding um, experience to do it together as a couple. And I think COVID is really giving us the opportunity to do that. And there's so many resources out there. And so I wanted to switch gears and ask you another question because it's not only just meditation, but mindful parenting questions come up because that's a huge arena now is that, you know, I'm, I would say that in our family, like I'm kind of like the lead, like I research, I read, I, I find new tactics. I'm very much, let's be very clear. I still have childhood trauma and wounds that I'm working through as a parent. They're getting triggered and I'm recognizing it, but I'm in this constant phase of how do I shift? How do I learn? What do I need to, to do? And when I recognize something in Chirag that it's a childhood wound and a pattern that's coming out in his parenting, uh, I, I like to, we have an open 
conversation and dialogues about this. So I wanted you to kind of talk about the mindful parenting aspect, if there's any tools that you found that we've used. I mean, we will obviously be using with Rehan, he's a little young, but with Ayan so far, anything that's really resonated with you or what are your feelings and thoughts about this new kind of paradigm of mindful parenting, which neither one of us were raised by mindful parents, by the way. So disclaimer, I still suck at it. Um, But I think the thing that I like about it or love about it is that it's given an opportunity to me to kind of find myself even as a person. Um, And what I enjoy about it is that we want to revert back to yelling, putting shame on them, uh, screaming at them. And sometimes, you know, it, it happened to me and I'm, I'm sure it happened to you because that's just the generation that kind of we grew up in is uh, shaming in front of your peers or your family or your friends or your elders. And I think that's one thing that I think both of us are so cognizant of and we try our hardest to communicate with Ion. Um, and he's a tough cookie. Uh, I mean, he's a blend of me and her. Um, and I know he has an independent soul, but a lot of his DNA is us. And I think he's a very strong soul. And so he, he's giving us a lot of lessons in that regards. But I think what, what I like about us doing mindful parenting is that we're looking to change the dynamic. We're looking to make sure that our kids don't need to fear us. Um, they, they don't need to be our friends either, um, but ruling with fear does not lead to good, uh, what do you call it, like? Doesn't really, good. relationship, it doesn't build yes. connection in yes. the, the relationship. It so just the, creates animosity and you'll become like me as a teenager, you'll rebel. <laughs> yeah, um, or, or, or you you'll not rebel, but you'll carry on that burden in your heart or your shoulders or your brain and it'll lead to other seek like you're always seeking approval other different things and let's be real we're in the indian culture um that's not going away anytime soon um because we're still the minority in how we try to parent um we haven't perfected it and um we're gonna do our best with rihan and we're gonna upper game to make sure that some of the mistakes we even made with Ion that we can not do with Rihan and it's going to be an interesting dynamic as soon as Rihan really starts to um, understand things and kind of start being more vocal and it's going to give us an opportunity to see his personality I mean he already has a different personality than Ion so when he starts really talking and and expressing himself it's going to be very interesting for us to pick that up. But I think number one thing that you wanted me to kind of pull from mindful parenting is I think is I want to avoid shaming our kids. I want our kids to have um, the ability to come to us and share however they feel. I don't want them to tell, I don't want to say to them, you're a boy, don't cry. Um, That's not what I want to do. Um, And I don't think that our parents technically did that, but I know that that's the norm. If you're a boy, you don't cry. You're strong. You're this. I think having the ability to be emotional and the especially ability, for boy, men, yes, right. Yes. It was and, and you, you also be or... also be um, 
the ability to recognize those emotions either from the other person that you're communicating with or around and vice versa on your own that yes this is anger that i'm feeling this is frustration that i'm feeling it's not always pretty it's not nice um somebody on the outside may look at it and be like you guys suck at parenting um you're letting your kid run all over you uh but it really isn't it's just giving them an opportunity to voice what they're feeling and when they're wrong um Dejil and i um definitely step in and and make sure that we acknowledge the fact that they're wrong we just use a different tone and we try to use a different tone um we still get frustrated so guys don't don't look at this as like we're not these, perfect like, guys you know we're not in some woo-woo <laughs> land of of no mistakes uh it's an ongoing battle and we know that right parenting is not perfect and whoever thinks that parenting is perfect has given up on parenting in my opinion because it, every day you learn something new and a and you think you've mastered something and your child will give you, you know, reality check of saying, I don't think so, you know, so, um, and I, and I think you're right. I will not go and research those things because it's just not in me because I don't read. Um, <laughs> it comes down to, I don't read. Um, and, but I appreciate that because I think I'm open to learning new things and all the books that you had read prior to Ion being born, I think, um you read some chapters to me because you knew that i wasn't gonna really read them so um i think you keeping me engaged keeps inspiring me to make sure that i follow through on a lot of things and and at times i think you're genuinely surprised that i'm doing what i'm doing right um like when you're looking from the outside you're like wow chirag actually you know came through on that one i was kind of frustrated and we we work as a team because we know we know the triggers we know our triggers so we know when we've gotten triggered we kind of step away and the other person steps in without any judgment or without any like you yelled oh see you failed we don't do any of those things we just kind of silently step in and take over and that's it and and it's like an unknown um sorry not unknown it's an unspoken um connection that Dejo and I have about that now because we're so committed to raising our kids in a way that makes them feel that they're not constantly being judged or put on a pedestal at least by their parents they're going to get judged by other people they're going to get put on pedestals by other people they're going to be brought down by other people but our job we feel like is we need to be as balanced as possible and that's what we're thriving for I think one of the things that we've consistently did, and I share this a lot, is that we did the mindful me time, like the mm -hmm. the, the quality time every single day. And, you know, uh, you get 10 minutes every single day, one-on-one -on -one time. But I think that has been one of the most rewarding experiences as a parent for me too, because you don't have to be present with your child every single moment of the day. However, they do need our undivided, full attention, full presence, for a period of time, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes, it has to be consistent. By the way, I'm at 20 minutes, Dejo. <laughs> I'm at I've 10 done, minutes. <laughs> I can't. Uh, ten, Daddy, can I get five more? Okay. Daddy, that still wasn't enough. Can I get more? Sure. So invariably, I'm doing anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. Dejo is still very good with the, with the 10 minute. But you know what? Um, I think one of the things that we also realize is we all know, I mean, we have family members who have older kids and we just recognize, and, and that's one of their regrets that you hear all the time, right? 
enjoy the time with them. They, at some point, don't want to spend as much time as possible with you because they want to spend it with their friends or they want to spend it just doing what they want to do. And so if right now they want to be around you, take full advantage of it. And that's what we try to do as much as possible. Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have our parental duties. And yes, we have our adult duties. Um, but we make a conscious effort. And I've made a conscious effort um, that when I step into the house, and that's something I learned from my dad. I mean, believe it or not, my dad never brought work at home when I was growing up. It, it stayed at work. And I think I try that, right? I, yeah. I go to I, people. By the way, I'm the supermarket guy. I go to the, sh the grocery stores and buy the groceries. And that's my way of kind of um, de-stressing whatever has happened during the day and not bringing it inside the house. Because when I walk inside the house, I want to have a smile on. I want to be able to be present with my kids. And I, I make a very conscious effort to do that. Um, there's days where I just can't because it's, it's been that type of a day. Um, and... It's kind of awesome, actually, because Ion will recognize that now and say, Daddy, did you have a tough day? What what happened? What's wrong? And I actually share with him, too, sometimes. I mean, sometimes I don't because he goes to the same he goes to the school that I owned. We don't own anymore. But then he'll go back and potentially have that conversation <laughs> with the teacher or no a parent, filter. <laughs> you know, no filter because he's a five year old or four year old um, and very articulate at that. So I, you know, I don't share everything with him, but he does recognize... Um, we share feelings, that mommy's feeling yes. frustrated, daddy's feeling frustrated. I think it's important to let our children know when we're feeling stressed because it builds a dialogue for them to understand that it's okay and they're safe, that, hey, I'm feeling frustrated, I'm feeling disappointed, I'm feeling angry, and it's not convenient, but you gotta... <laughs> and, and they'll call you out on it, and they won't agree with you, but it's a practice. It's... It's hopefully as they get older, when they do get to recognize and they have a lot more control over what they're doing, that practice that we put in at the age of two and a half or two of letting them know some of these things will be in their subconscious and they'll be able to bring that uh, when they're communicating with us. And that's our hope. Look, we don't know. Kids haven't grown to that age to tell all of you that this is what it is. Time will tell where, where that goes. But I think we're doing. I think doing... the odds when we when because we odds know are in so, our favor because the kids between the ages of zero and eight, what we what they hear, what they see, what they experience most consistently gets planted in their subconscious, which then becomes the the foundation of their patterns, their beliefs, their stories, how they show up in the world. So it behooves us at this age, right, to oh, yeah. plant those seeds. It's a, it's a practice. Right? And what, I mean, it's a 50-50 chance, but I'd rather take those odds to, to plant those yeah. seeds than to miss the, the wagon. And uh, so I think the, the moral of this, and I really, I'm so grateful that you came on to share this and so that men can have a, a perspective from another man, <laughs> I think that's important, is that, you know, this journey is an ever-evolving journey. Even though you're in this with your spouse or your partner, it's going to be different for each of us. And I think um, if, you know, many, many parents ask me, many moms ask me, how do I get my spouse on board to teach my kids? And I think one of the greatest tools that I feel blessed to be a part of is the book, the Meditation for Kids book, because it's really designed to be a family 
um, experience. And it's not just meditation. It has the breathing exercise that Chirag talked about. Also, like mindful parenting conversations. You want to teach your child. I know all of us want to teach them growth mindset. So there's an example or there's an exercise climbing mistake mountains. What are the affirmations to build that persistence and that determination, which is so crucial there's conversations about, you know, talking about feelings. Like how do you talk about emotions in a way that's non-threatening in the moment when you feel lost for words? I have exercises like steering your ship or yummy yucky to build those conversations. And then how to have teachable moments, like these moments of deep connection and at the end of the night of like retracing your day. What were the high and low parts of today? What do you want to learn and what do you want to do differently? Knowing and giving them the space to be like, you made a mistake, that's okay. You can start again tomorrow. And so really dive into, and I know many of my listeners or listeners already have the book at home, but I just want to invite you as a family to build this practice because it's great if one parent does it, but it's even better if both are reinforcing it. Yeah, and uh- the one thing I'll add to that is, you know, your kid will resonate more towards mom when they're doing some of this stuff. Ayan definitely wants to do it more with Dajel than me. Um, and he fights me sometimes, but don't give up. Um, you know, you want to you want to keep encouraging them. Uh, and a lot of times I deviate a little bit from exactly what's in the book. Yeah. Um, just so that he doesn't feel that, oh, well, this is a mommy and ion thing you're i want to do something different with you when you're putting me to sleep i still kind of bring in that practice and sometimes we'll just do five peaceful breaths or we'll do 11 peaceful breaths or we'll do um counting or we'll do something that that helps him quiet his mind and we'll do an exercise in the book that he likes i'll just leave it to him and say well look i'm not going to tell you what we need to do why don't you pick what you think you want to do today and then and then you teach me and he's so good when it comes to that, I think as your kids get confidence within themselves that they can do this in front of their parents and they can do it with their dad, um, it'll bring a different dynamic to your relationship and also a different uh, way that your kids will see you in that light. That, oh, you know, this book is not just for me. My dad is doing it with me too. And the fact that he's doing it, as we all know, kids are looking up to us, right? We're we're supposed to be their teachers and, and supposed to be their guides. And if we are resistant, we are resistant to doing something like that because we think it's not going to help us or it's not going to make any difference because we're 42 years old or we're 38 years old or we're 52 years old. Your child who only feels energy or who only sees everything with a clean canvas is going to pick that up and say, oh, well, if you don't have to do it, why am I going to do it? It's not going to help me. And they're going to start building those walls that are going to be hard for you to then break down. You can break them down. Because uh, look at Dejo and I. We didn't learn any of this stuff. And now we picked it up in our... She picked it up in her late 20s. I picked it up in my early 30s. Um, but you we know, don't want but, them to wait that long. Because no, no, the absolutely not. very much that rather learn help them learn how to build emotional intelligence and resilience at a young age. Because these are life skills. I think they're like the most essential life skills. You absolutely need them. So you're not wasting your life, you know, struggling with some of these big emotions and stress. And I think that um, I'm so grateful that you shared such dynamic information with the families today. Well, I hope it helps them. And I hope I wasn't, you know, sometimes I... 
I'm too honest or I don't think too, there's such a thing I to, think to the point on, on yeah like <laughs> on how word. I feel or or where we go but I think I think it's a practice and um I think the more you do it with with your kids and as a family I think it'll be something that will become part of your family and part of what you do and um it's pure joy to see your four-year-old and I think I mean Ayan I think was three and a half when he himself was telling Dejol oh I want to do this meditation with you or I want to do this book with you or I want to can you read this to me because I want to feel calm I, I, I mean it it's it's pure joy. And even you know? Rihan, right? Like he's like, he's learned this even faster than Ayan because he also watches Ayan and I do it. But he like sits in the yoga room, right? Yeah. And medit- like does his little like yeah. ohm. For, and, like, for t- his hot five seconds and then he comes back and, and does it again for his five seconds. And, and I think it's, again, that whole thing. You give them the space and you don't, you don't take it out. It's, it, I think for guys, let's, let's put it this way. If you had this dream to teach your kid basketball or tennis or baseball or football, you're not going to give up the first day you go out and they decide that they don't want to hit the ball or they don't want to shoot the ball or they don't want to kick the ball, right? You're going to take them the next day and say, let's try it again. You're going to take them the day after. Let's try it again. This is the same thing. Don't give up yourself or don't let your child give up on some of these tools because once they start doing it, they will, they'll start appreciating it. And I'm, I'm going to give you this story real quick. Can I, can I do yeah, this? Of course. This is, so when Deja was teaching at our schools, um, uh, she was teaching meditation and mindfulness. I think she taught for almost three and a half years. Uh, we had one child at one of our schools that was going through a really rough time. They were in kindergarten, um, Parents were getting a divorce, um, and it was a nasty divorce. They were constantly fighting, and um, Dejal had made these calm-down jars uh, where she had put um, food coloring in the water and put glitter and made these jars for all her kids, and she had kind of taught them what how they can use the jar. And one of the days, the teacher for that class pulls me aside and goes, you got to tell Dejal this. And I said, well, why? What happened? She goes... The mom walked in and the dad walked in and both of them walked in at separate times and they both said the same exact story that said that when they were fighting the night before, the child came downstairs, even though the child was in bed and sleeping, brought the jar downstairs and said, mommy and daddy, you need to start, you need to stop screaming at each other. If you feel like you need to scream at each other, shake this jar wait till all the glitter settles at the bottom and then talk to each other because that means that you've let that frustration and anger go in that moment and then you can talk to each other you are way too loud for i think the child was five and a half to say that and to put that all together and of course they were going through a very difficult time so they also had to grow up very fast in that regards but that's the kind of impact that it can have that your kids later on will become kind of your guide and your teachers when you've kind of forgotten or when you've gone off path, they'll remind you and say, let's do this together. And what an amazing way to resolve something rather than just slamming doors and yelling at each other and taking something away or, you know, being angry at someone. It, it, it ultimately only hurts you. So 
that's a hard lesson for me. Um, I always thought yelling and being angry and being um, very definitive was my way of that's who I am and live with it where it's really no um, having a conversation and really listening to someone and why they feel a certain way has been the key to my growth um, and being a business owner entrepreneur when there's so many people who depend on you not only your clients but your employees I think it's a very good thing to take um, in life in general I agree and and, you know, I know the moms have heard me say this, but I want to say for you dads, it's one of the perspective shifts for this is like, just like we teach our kids to brush their teeth every day to keep the sugar bugs away, just like we teach our kids every day to take a shower to keep the germs away, we have to teach our children, we brush our brain every day with meditating and taking deep breaths to keep yucky thoughts and feelings away. It has to become like the ingrained we we ingrain physical hygiene in our kids we have to ingrain mental hygiene in our kids and it's just one minute five breaths 10 you know 10 breaths it's not so much the time it's just the consistency of making that little pocket of time and that importance of we have to do this we have to do this and it might not be it might not be fun for them in the beginning just like brushing their teeth no kid ever is like i'm excited to brush my teeth but we we know the importance of it and as grown-ups and as their their guardians we have to instill these habits in their life at a young age so thank you guys so much this was so fun yes it was actually and i feel like we're gonna have follow-up questions so if you guys do have follow-up questions maybe you might have to have a recurring cameo if people want you to hear sign me up how much does it pay zero nilch oh it makes you feel good in your heart that you know that you're touching someone i like it <laughs> it's better than it. money Let, let's join a movement dads who meditate <laughs> dads can meditate hashtag <laughs> oh, there you go. dads can meditate. meditate dads can meditate i love it thank you guys so much for listening i think this will give you a really good intimate look into our relationship our journey and like i said if you guys have any other questions or follow-ups please definitely send it my way thank you guys Thank you, and hope to see you all soon. That's what Hayan says, too. Hope to see yeah. you on another podcast. <laughs> so, see, like father, like son. I love it. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.